Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is the seventh class study on right view, and uh, and and as right view relates to the ongoing personal experience of dukkha or stress and suffering uh, that we characterize as the five clinging aggregates: form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, and consciousness. This sutta, the Fena Sutta, um, can be seen as or and is a synopsis of uh, our previous six classes, and it really is a synopsis and a really beautiful one in in the metaphorical way of um, Dhamma practice, of right Dhamma practice. And you'll notice at the end of each reference to each particular um, aggregate, there's a rhetorical question that simply points to uh, an awakened or right view of that particular aggregate, such as form or feeling. And also notice, um, I don't mean to give out, give it away, but who the magician is in this whole thing. Let me get started. The Fenasutta. The Buddha was staying with the Avogens on the Ganges, Ganges River, whatever it is. He addressed those assembled. Friends, suppose a large glob of foam was floating down the river, and a person with good eyesight, not me, saw it and clearly examined it. To them, it would appear empty, void, without any substance. For what substance could there be in a glob of foam? In the same way, any Dhamma practitioner well-versed in the Dhamma observes and appropriately examines any form that is past, future, or present, any form that is internal or external, obvious or subtle, common or extraordinary, near or far. I'm going to read this again just to point out one thing. In the same way, any practitioner well-versed in the Dhamma observes and appropriately examines. So appropriately examines is reference to being framed now by refined mindfulness or being framed by the Eightfold Path. That's the appropriate way that we observe observe phenomena. Phenomena, and appropriately appropriately examines any form that is past, future, or present, any form that is internal or external, obvious or subtle, common or extraordinary, near or far. That means any way that I might see my form or the forms in the in the physical world in any different way than just as they are in this moment. In other words, if I have to be taller, stronger, shorter, with more hair a better speaker, a better this, a better that, or less this or less that, or the world has to be different than it is, that's the form we're referring to. Any form, no matter where it is. It could be a future form. Like if I do this for long enough, if I practice, um, I took my vows in one uh, lineage that said that the first thing you do is you, you bow, a, a complete bow, I won't get into what that is, 108,000 times, and then you can begin your practice. And so I did that for about eight minutes and decided that wasn't for me anymore. Because it didn't really make any sense. Because I want to learn how to, what it means to be a human being, an awakened human being, in this lifetime, right here, right now. And that's what Siddhartha was looking for, too. The Buddha answers that by saying, to those well-versed in the Dhamma, it would appear empty, void, and without any substance, the glob of foam. And the rhetorical question, for what substance could there be form that is constantly changing? So we're so enamored with this form, but it's never the same from one moment to the next. So what is the best way to view something that is impermanent? With understanding and calm, instead of grasping at and applying things to this form that it simply can't be. 
Why do I say that? Because if it could be, it would be. What is to be is what is here. That's from the Taragatha. What is to be is what is here. It's up to us. Now, suppose that in the rainy season, it is raining fat, heavy drops, and a water bubble appears and disappears on the water. A person with good eyesight sees this and clearly examines it. The water bubble would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance could there be in a water bubble? In the same way, any practitioner well-versed in the Dhamma observes and appropriately examines any feeling that is past, future, or present, any feeling that is internal, external, or obvious or subtle, common or extraordinary, or far, any feeling. To those well-versed in the Dhamma, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what, stuff, for what substance could there be in feelings that are constantly changing? Ram, how are you feeling? Yeah. <laughs> now, suppose during the hot season, a mirage was shimmering. A person with good eyesight sees it and clearly examines it. The, the mirage would appear empty, void, and without substance. For what substance could there be in a mirage that is constantly changing? In the same way, any practitioner well-versed in the Dhamma observes and appropriately examines any perception that is past, future, or present, any perception that is internal or external. That means a perception I might have about the quality of my mind or the quality of your mind, internal, external. Obvious or subtle, things that I might be holding myself, not willing to look at. Common or extraordinary, I'm the world's greatest meditation teacher, near or far. To those well-versed in the Dhamma, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance could there be in perceptions that are constantly changing? Now, suppose a person with good eyesight is seeking heartwood. The Buddha always references the Eightfold Path as the heartwood of the Dhamma. A person with a good, got a good eyesight seeking heartwood. In seeing heartwood, they went to a forest with a sharp axe. There they find a large banana tree. They cut it at the root and remove the top. They peel away the outer skin and fail to find even sapwood, softwood, to say nothing of finding heartwood. A banana tree is simply um, organically not possible to have any, any useful kind of wood for building. There's no heartwood in it. Having good eyesight, they clearly examine the banana tree and the tree would appear empty, void, without substance. In regard to heartwood, for what substance could there be in a banana tree? Nothing that's of any value. In other words, if we're looking somewhere outside of the Eightfold Path, we're not going to find anything of any value in relation to dollar practice. And again, this is another, and I'm going to talk more about this on Saturday. This is another reference to being mindful of only the heartwood of the Dhamma as our Dhamma practice. It doesn't mean that we can't do other things that we find enjoyable and maybe even beneficial, such as um, yoga practice or going bowling on, on Saturday night or anything else that we think is helpful. Fine, but it's not Dhamma practice. And it's important to keep the Dhamma pure in our mind and not attach other things just because we find them as pleasant, which really would then be a pleasant distraction from the Dhamma. In the same way, any practitioner well-versed in the Dhamma observes and appropriately examines any fabrications that are past, future, or present, any feeling that is internal or external, obvious or subtle, common or extraordinary, near or far. <coughs> to those well-versed in the Dhamma, fabric, did I just say, I, I read this wrong, I'm sorry, and there's a typo in there. In the book, in the same way, any practitioner well-versed in the Dhamma observes and appropriately examines any fabrications that are past, future, or present, any fabrication that is internal or external, 
obvious or subtle, common or extraordinary, near or far. For those well-versed in the Dhamma, fabrications would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance could there be in a fabrication or in fabrications that are constantly changing? So fabrications are, are hardened views or hardened um, hardened views of myself or the world and the people in that world that follow from a perception that itself is rooted in ignorance. Now, suppose a magician, the magician, were to display a magic trick and a person with good eyesight clearly sees the trick. The trick would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance could there be in a magic trick? It's just magic and we know it. In the same way, any practitioner well-versed in the Dhamma Observe and, observes and appropriately examines any consciousness that is past, future, or present, any consciousness that is internal or external, obvious or subtle, common or extraordinary, near or far. It's our consciousness that's the magician. We're playing the magic trick on ourselves, but we just don't know who the magician is. The Buddha just told us. It's our own thoughts. To those well-versed in the Dhamma, any consciousness ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, would appear empty, void, and without substance. For what substance could there be in consciousness that is impermanent and rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths? In other words, the consciousness of a human being's mind that is rooted in ignorance has no substance. Why is that important? Because without substance, it should be abandoned and can be abandoned. But if I think there's substance to a view that I'm holding, whatever it might be that I have the right, just to get into it, because it's so polarizing. I have the right political view and everybody else is wrong. That's obviously a fabrication that is stuck in my consciousness that I'm now playing a magic trick on, that my view is the only right view. And look at all the pain and destruction that holding on to these kind of fabrications cause in the world, but most importantly, to the person that's holding up, to the individual. Seeing the five clinging aggregates clearly, the Buddha continues, the well-instructed follower of the Dhamma grows disenchanted with form. They grow disenchanted with feeling, disenchanted with perception, disenchanted with fabrication, and disenchanted with thinking or consciousness rooted in ignorance. It's the perfect word for this because we become enchanted by our own ignorance with the things that we've decided about ourselves and the world around them. Even though they're rooted in ignorance and we don't recognize that, we become enchanted. And hence the reference to the magician. What does a magician do? He enchants us with suggestions. With, with choices that we shouldn't even make, but they're right in front of us. Yeah, what happened to that elephant? Where did it go? It's not here anymore. It must have just vanished. And it's just a trick. And we keep doing it to ourselves over and over again until we have integrated the Eightfold Path and can see that clearly. Then we grow disenchanted with form. We go disenchanted with feeling, disenchanted with perception, disenchanted with fabrication, and disenchanted with thinking rooted in ignorance. What it means is I go disenchanted with ongoing eye-making. I go disenchanted with the way that I'm thinking, and then I can let it go. The Buddha continues, they grow disenchanted with the five clinging aggregates. I grow disenchanted with the ongoing personal experience of suffering. I recognize my contributions to it, and I simply abandon it. Disenchanted, they now grow dispassionate. Dispassionate about what? About ongoing eye-making. Through that dispassion are released. Released from what? Released from views ignorant of Four Noble Truths. That's it. It's not a lot, is it? But it's everything. But it's only that that we need to become disenchanted with and dispassionate about. Everything else just falls away. 
The focus is on that. Through that dispassion, they are released. With release, there is the knowledge that they are released. So how do you know your Dharma practice is, is bearing fruit and you're practicing it correctly? Because of that. You'll know the release when it's there. And I'm not talking about fully awakened release from all fabrications. We all practice that. And we talk about it in every class. In fact, it's one of the reasons why we organize and structure our class like this, much like the original Sangha. We teach a sutta and then we talk about developing release. And we talk about it so that we can recognize it. With release, there is the knowledge. They are released. That's part of Dhamma practice. It's not magic. It's not something we're grasping after in the future. They are released from clinging to ignorant views. They know that birth is ended. What does that mean, that birth is ended? Does it mean that we'll never give birth to any children if we want children? No. In the context that we're talking about, ignorance. They know that birth is ended. Now there is no possibility of me giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance, rooted in my own ignorant consciousness. That's the entire teaching that the Buddha gives on birth and rebirth, nothing else. We are not concerned about, he is not concerned about future births because they're not here and they'll never happen. What we're dealing with is what am I giving birth to in this moment? And that is determined by the quality of my mind or what I'm holding in mind, what we refer to as refined mindfulness, resting in jhana. They know that birth is ended, the fully integrated life has been lived, integrated within the Eightfold Path, and the path is complete. They know now there will be no more moments rooted in ignorance. That's an awakened human being. And that's where calm resides then, a permanent calm, that fourth level of, um, of fourth foundation of mindfulness, of equanimity. But it's now prevalent because we've let go of all ignorant views. And what's left? A human being who is a reference point to what's occurring moment by moment by moment. And in that way, each moment of that life becomes meaningful. It becomes significant. It becomes poignant no matter what is occurring. The Buddha continues. Form is like a glob of foam. Feeling is a bubble. Perception a mirage. Fabrications a banana tree. Consciousness, my thinking before awakening. Consciousness is a magician's trick. When you observe them and appropriately examine them, it is clear they are empty, void, and without substance. These things that we are so enchanted with, so endeared with, is that the right word, endeared with? That we are unwilling to let go of because it's me and it's what I've made of myself. But it's the cause of our own suffering, ignorance of four noble truths. It is clear they are empty, void, and without substance. The Buddha continues, to anyone who sees them clearly, now they are empty of ignorance. Beginning with a body, when seen with, with profound discernment, my commentary, beginning with the body, when seen with proud discernment as taught by the Buddha, form is rejected. It's simply cast aside. It doesn't mean that we somehow escape our body, but we stop taking this as, as a definition of who we are. When bereft of wrong views, the emptiness of form is seen clearly like a magic trick. An idiot's babbling. No substance is found here. A well-informed Dharma practitioner, their persistence aroused, should continually view the five aggregates mindful and alert. They should discard greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, the three defilements, and make themselves their own refuge. Make the Dhamma, the, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and our Sangha as a refuge. And take to their Dhamma as if their heart, as if their head was on fire, in hopes of grabbing Nibbana. That's the last line. 
Nibbana is the awakened state. Nibbana means extinguish, as in the passions of, of ignorance, the passions of ongoing I made have been extinguished. That's today's sutta. Jane, I want to go to you first. Because I know you always like it when I go to you first. Oh, well, thank you, John. No, that, that was a very complete teaching. I mean, I mean that sums up everything. Um, I just like that word ignorance because that really does describe what I was full of. So. Yeah, and I like I like the way you was full of no more. Right. Well, still yeah. have some, but. And and your practice was recognizing as ignorance was manifesting in one of these aggregates, recognizing it and just simply letting it go. Correct. Right. It wasn't always simple, but yes. Yeah, over yeah, time. I always like to put that on it, but, <laughs> but it's, over time, it's doable. Yes. It's doable. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, James. Dharma teacher Tom. Hi, John. Um, thanks for the teaching. I I really like this sutta. Um, it's one of my favorites, but um, I'm I'm getting more and more favorites. So yeah. I don't know, I really know what that means. But um, I, I actually have some questions. Um, so my first question is, um, can you clarify for me the difference between fabrications, so mental fabrications and consciousness? Oh, a, a fabrication is an aspect of consciousness that you could, you could almost look at it as um, a hardened aspect of consciousness that now the rest of our thoughts are uh, focused on maintaining that fabrication such as something that, um, I don't know if this is going to be useful, but it's what came into mind. When I was 15 years old, I was diagnosed as an alcoholic. But that the perception of being an alcoholic solidified in my mind as a fabrication. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. To me, an alcoholic is one who kept, keeps drinking a lot. So the, the, the false perception leading to that fabrication that, yeah, an alcoholic is somebody who drinks a lot, was filtered into that consciousness that was geared towards maintaining that. So it was a wrong perception, wasn't it? Uh, or you could say that it, it, I wasn't ready to understand that in a more mature way, which I did 10 years later. But um, does that clarify it? Um, it's quite, it's sort of, I mean, what I'm sort of, um, I, again, I might be going down the wrong route here, but, the consciousness is like that sort of thing that's bubbling under the surface. Um, and the fabrication is the actual thought that you have, which stems from that consciousness, that judgment that you have about yourself. So the fabrication would be, I am too much of this or not enough of that. But that's yes. kind of, um, it's the consciousness is um, rooted in ignorance before Noble Truths is what enables that fabrication to manifest itself. Is it something like that? Yes. So consciousness, ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths holds many different fabrications. You know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm a Democrat. You're a Republican. You're no good. I'm the world's greatest meditation teacher. I'm going to play baseball for the Yankees. I'm a, I'm a good driver. I'm a bad driver. I'm, I'm a good husband. I'm a, you know, it's all these things that we think about ourselves that we take personal, that we, that we pile on ourselves which really obscures who we are from our own self are all these fabrications. And that's all maintained in the broader field of, of my consciousness. Right. 
Right. And another important aspect of that you're getting to, and thank you for the question, Tom, is we, it, it's hard now for many people to not glorify just plain old consciousness, just thinking. And we're, we're almost, um, we're almost compulsed to think of our consciousness as part of some grand cosmic consciousness because we hear it all the time or we hear that we're connected in some way through our thoughts. Well, we're not, you know, at least as far as Dhamma practice is concerned. My consciousness is the issue and the, and the issues that will manifest are fabrications because they'll show me aspects of my consciousness that I'm holding about myself that simply are just that, a fabrication or a corruption of reality. So a fabrication, it can be an almost an unlimited, can be unlimited aspects of consciousness. Got it. Got yeah, it. Great okay. question. Thank you. I, I've got another question, if that's okay. Please. <laughs> um, it was more like a clarification, actually. Um, so originally, when, when I was reading the, um, talking about, now suppose a person with good eyesight is seeking heartwood, I was seeing the banana tree as heartwood, but actually the banana tree represents a false, um, um, like a false search, an ignoble yeah. search. Is that right? That's what the banana tree represents. Yes, exactly. The eightfold path in itself, if I'm, the eightfold path in itself is, still a fabrication right but it's a wise kind of fabrication because it's yeah it's focusing it's 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 bringing you closer to to yeah seeing life as it, it as it as it truly is is that is that right that, that that's exactly it so in that way the eightfold path is meeting us where we are where which is i mean this is the brilliance of siddhartha to figure this out that he needed a path he needed some way to pierce this veil of ignorance because he knew how strong it was in human beings. That's what he observed. And so he developed this eightfold path to meet each and every human being where they are. So of course, ultimately it's fabricated because it, it, it lives within the fabrication of our own mind. But it's a fabrication that can be called a skillful fabrication because when followed, that's why it's a practice, when followed, it leads us out of fabrications. It allows us to use a fabricated practice to understand aren't the fabrications within our own mind, such as this is me, this is mine, this is what I am. So what a, what a great and penetrative Thanks. two questions you ask. Do you have any more? <laughs> no, I'm done. Thank you. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Tom, my teacher, Brian. Hello. Um, the magic trick, could, could you think of the magic trick as consciousness is is multi-layered right it's it's ongoing thinking and it's also awareness and it's this self-awareness of your own thinking that creates this trick that i'm i'm more than i am yeah. and consciousness is also binding together all of the aggregates so they present as a single entity yes yeah and when you when you develop enough concentration to see the individual aggregates in and of themselves you realize that they are empty of any substance and so again yeah the, the magic trick is really a derivative of, of consciousness being aware that it's conscious is that yeah that's right okay it's exactly that and so then we recognize you know the aha moment for many of us in dhamma practice is wow we, i was doing this to myself and now i'll stop 
And I mean, it's it's the greatest magic trick that's ever been performed, but we are, we're all doing it to ourselves until we have something like this practice, like this Eightfold Path that lets us see it. And if we couldn't see it, we would never stop it, would we? There has to yeah, be a no, way to see it. You've got to, again, you've got to have the, the, the initial right view the, yep. to break that that discursive chain of thought to, to even get close to unraveling the magic trick. So, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Another great question. And so a beginning right view is, yeah, I'm under stress. I'm suffering. I'm confused. And I don't know why. That's the beginning of right view when we use Dharma practice to find out why which is the five clinging aggregates, the ongoing personal experience of suffering that is maintained by ignorance of four noble truths. And it's just that. So. Adam, what do you think of today's class? I actually listened to your recording earlier this morning, and it was, it was basically the same thing you said right now. And um, you know the situation I'm going through. So it's yep. kind of like the, I'm the magician. I was tricking myself thinking it was okay, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, and, I, really, I really liked your class tonight. Yeah, thank you. And you really made a, a, the perfect correlation because I tricked myself for years. That trick almost killed me that, yeah, I can, I know I'm an alcoholic. I mean, this really is a thought. And I found through working with others that the one thought that kills most drug addicts and alcoholics is, yeah, I know I'm, I'm in a mess. I'm just going to go out one more time and have a really good one and then I'll stop. Right. And that kept me going from 16 to 26. Because right. I knew I had to stop, but my, my thinking was, okay, just one more, just one more, just one more. And I came close to death at least twice that I know of doing that. And again, most drug addicts and alcoholics that I know and died, died from that. I've had people call me saying, I know I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit tomorrow. And I say, no, 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 you better quit now. And they didn't. And I get a call the next day that that person is gone. Yeah. You know, and, that, and I'm talking in a rather extreme um results but we do this with all kinds of things we do it with, with a piece of pie with relationships with golf and anything pick you know pick what your pick your poison and that's the one that we're using to distract ourselves from our own our own lives that's the that's the magic trick you know i have it's one the, more question the, sure when you're used when you're so used to something is that a perception or a mirage when you're so used to something it's a fabrication if it's something that you're that you're holding in mind as a uh, a solidified aspect of your thinking, meaning you're you're you've established something as this is what it is, right. when nothing is like that. Nothing is permanent, you know, including our thinking, you know, which is most important. Yeah, uh, I can tell Adam by your questions that you're you're really understanding this as it's intended. So you know, good for you. Thanks. We'll we'll talk more about this tomorrow. Okay, or later on tonight if you want. All right. Thanks, Adam. Jeff, how are you? I'm well, thanks for the teaching. I, I also think this is becoming one of my favorites as well. The yeah. metaphors are beautiful. And uh, it, it, it's surprising. I'm, be, I'm becoming okay with thinking of my former self as a floating glob of foam. So yeah, <laughs> things are good. Yeah, it is good, right? <laughs> Makes you look at the but, ocean a different way. Yeah, it is. Because that's why, and actually it's, it's really nothing. Um, Thank you, Jeff. I, I know that Deborah might be listening, your lovely wife, if she wants to say something, please, but she doesn't have to. Good evening. Hi, Deborah. I just want to let you know that, yes, I have been listening, and I find it 
thoughtful and I figured out to who the magician was ah, good. right away. <laughs> See, you're a natural. <laughs> well, I don't Thanks, know about that, but I, I thank you for your teaching tonight. Thank you for joining with us. Here's Brett. Hello, Brett. Thanks for the teaching. I'm getting a lot out of what everybody's saying, and uh, I'm just going to keep on listening. Good. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. It's a bit hard to hear, John. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can, can you, those in the peanut gallery, please speak up? Hello, Laura. How are you? when I come here but that's what's great about this is that we don't take ourselves too seriously and get caught up in mystical magical you know I was just thinking how unless you have you know jhana practice meditation to interrupt that discursive thinking yeah the the magical thinking of your yeah. consciousness can just perpetuate itself you know, and it's very insidious too. But and what's great about this practice too is you always, you know, based on what the Buddha taught, tell us to. It's really an equal marrying of equanimity, concentration, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if you have like if you have, you know, if I get too equanimous in my meditative state, then I can just become, you know, not emotionally available to people or not listen to people. I can just be in this, you know, la la land or whatever, yeah. <laughs> but, which isn't right. But then if I have, you know, another thing that's great is that, you know, we, I mean, we have a specific form that we follow for jhana, but we're not caught up in, oh, I got to keep my concentration so hard. And like, I have to breathe a certain way or, you know, sit an exact certain way without moving at all. And it's, so it just shows how, yeah, the magical thinking, um, yeah, it can be so self-destructive, but it's so great because we have this daily practice to help us. And you always say at the end of that, that, um, you know, those guided meditations on the website, you know, at the end, take refuge in the Eightfold Path, you know, be at peace. So, that's really the core of it. Yeah, the heart was. So. Yeah. You described it perfectly, Laura. Thank you. Did everybody online, did you hear Laura? It seems like people are saying <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Dharma teacher Ron. Hi, John. Thank you. Uh, yes, this is a good, a good um, just one, one more complete teaching. Yeah. I was thinking when, when Tom was asking the questions about <clears throat> what fabrications are, what popped in my mind was that fabrications are coalesced thoughts. Mm-hmm. They settle into some kind of kernel and they keep on building, you know, layers and layers that keep building on top of each other. Yeah. I mean, we did the Vipassana uh, structured study. We did quite a bit on, on fabrications. Yeah. And my takeaway from that was uh, you know, the good news is it's all these fabrications. Yeah. 
and the bad news is it's well, just fabrication. <laughs> Yeah, it, and, but to see that the distinction between thoughts and, and feelings and, and fabrications and, and how they, they stick together is, is important to, uh, <clears throat> to distinguish those clinging aggregates again. Oh, yeah. yeah. And also to recognize that when they, when they manifest, nothing there. Yeah. It's like foam on the ocean. And, and the, magician is, the magician is the one who says, I think, therefore I am. Yeah, you know, that the, the one of the most destructive quotes of all time. Mm-hmm. It really is. Because that just reinforces, yeah, this is what I'm thinking, so it must be what I am. And it's just the opposite of that. Thank you. Did everybody hear Ram okay? I guess so. Mm-hmm. You really got a good head shake there, oh. Tom. I can see it. I can see it well. <laughs> Hello, Sarah. I'm glad you joined us. We're just finishing up class, but I will tell you that uh, I'll post it later on tonight or tomorrow, and you can catch up. Thank you. But I'm glad you joined us. Kevin. Here's Kevin. Tom, I teach you, Kevin. Cut the top of your head. Thanks for the teaching, John. Uh, I liked everybody's contributions. I think that just to see the sort of uh, dissipation of thoughts and fabrications as, as they are, as the Buddha describes in foam, it's, uh, it uses the word discard again at the end of this. And yeah. You're just discarding foam and, and, and these thoughts that, that just like the ocean of foam, there's going to be a lot of them, but they blow away in the wind. Mm-hmm. The, the foam blows away all the time. Sometimes a storm wipes it all away. Yeah. Sometimes it's there to see it, but, but just you know, bubbling and foam is a cool sort of metaphor to keep things light, keep this bouncing. Yeah, it is. I like that. Everybody's, everybody's sort of volleyed it around this. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it is. it does show that there's nothing ultimately all that difficult because we're not giving up anything but that which is foam on the water. There's nothing to it. Thank you. Dama teacher David. Thank you, John. I'm all set. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for your participation tonight. Uh, like I said, I'm going to add one class to this structured study. So Saturday we'll have a, a super special class on um, on Jhana. Uh, yeah, one one night only, and then we'll start the Truth to Happiness um, a week from today. So we'll finish with Meta. Unless there's any questions, comments. All right. We'll finish with Meta as we always do. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, 
Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you, John. Thanks, Bye. John. See you, everyone. Good night. Bye. See you all soon. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.